right, well, we're there. you're there in James chapter number 2. I'd like you to keep your place there in James 2. That's the text for this morning. But I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 4, just real quickly. Romans chapter number 4. And we've been going through a series. This is now the second sermon in a series entitled, Earnestly Contend for the Faith. And we've been talking about this idea of defending the doctrine of salvation. Now, last week I preached an entire sermon about uh, faith versus works and how there are so many religions today that will teach you that you must do works, you must, you know, do certain things. And every religion has their own list of works, you know, but most man-made religions are going to teach you that you have to do works, there's certain things you need to do in order to be saved. And we went through and uh, thoroughly showed from the scriptures that salvation has nothing to do with works. It's completely your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ calling upon Him to save you. Now, I'm not going to rehash that whole sermon. If you missed that last week, I would encourage you to check it out on our website and uh, go back and kind of get that foundation. This morning's sermon is kind of under the understanding that you heard that sermon and you understand and you get that. Now, I do want to just real quickly touch on a couple of things just to kind of lay that foundation again. If you're there in Romans chapter 4, I'd like you to notice verse number 5. And here's what you need to understand. At Verity Baptist Church, and it doesn't really matter what Verity Baptist Church believes, but the Word of God teaches that not only is works not needed for salvation, but once you are saved, no works must follow in order for you to prove that you were saved or to show that you were saved. The Bible says that someone can be saved with absolutely no works. Let me show you that from the Bible. Romans chapter 4. We saw this last week, but I just want you to see it again just to kind of remind you a little bit. And like I said, I'm not going to go through all the scriptures and all the verses we looked at last week, but I do want to look at this one. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5, the Bible says this, but to him that worketh not. Now I want you to notice what it says. It doesn't say, or I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say to him that worketh a little bit. It doesn't say to him that worketh some. It says to him that worketh not. This guy did no works. He never went to church. He never read his Bible. He never got baptized. He never did anything. Notice, but to him that worketh not, but here's what he did do, believe it. That's the faith. On him that justified the ungodly. Notice, his faith is counted for righteousness. Because sometimes people say to me, well, I think that salvation is by grace through faith. But I do think that once you are saved, then works will follow. Like, you will do good works if you're saved. Not that you're saved by your good works, but, you know, it's just, you know, if you get saved, then you're going to do good things. Every believer will do good works. But according to this verse, can someone do no works... To him that worketh not, and yet believe and be saved? And the answer to that question is yes. Because he says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth. They didn't do any works, they didn't do anything right, but they believed on him that justified the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Notice verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness, notice, without works. All right? So righteousness is imputed with no works. You're there in the book of Romans. Go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. Just one book over. You're in Romans 4. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Let me give you another example. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Now, in 1 Corinthians 3, we have what we refer to, what the Bible refers to as the judgment seat of Christ. And this is basically where believers are going to be judged. Now, here's what you need to understand. 
Unbelievers are judged at the great white throne. We saw that last week. Believers are judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment to decide whether or not you're going to go into heaven or not. These are people that are already in heaven. These are believers that are going to get to heaven because of their faith in Jesus Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is a judgment that is meant to decide how believers will be rewarded for their works. It's a judgment of your works, not whether or not you'll go into heaven, but based on what rewards you will receive in heaven. I would encourage you to read the entire chapter and study that out to get that in its context. But I want you to notice verse number 12, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Now, here's what he's going to say. We're going to look at it here in verse 13. He says, the judgment seat of Christ is basically, and I don't know if this is an illustration that Paul is using or if this is literally going to happen, but God is basically going to take your works and some of them are going to be gold, silver, precious stones. Some of them are going to be wood, hay, stubble. Now, wood, hay, and stubble is not sinful, but here's the thing. It's just not going to last. See, if you put gold in fire, it, it'll refine it, but it won't, it won't burn up. You put hay in fire, it's just going to burn up. You put silver in fire or precious stones in fire, it'll survive the fire. You put wood or stubble into fire, it's going to burn it up. And here's what he's saying. The gold, silver, precious stones, those are the works that we've done that have eternal value. When I go and preach the gospel to someone, whether or not they get saved, I've done an eternal work. I've accomplished something. I've done something. This morning, I'm preaching to a group of believers the word of God. This is an eternal work. Now, there are some things that have no eternal value. They're not necessarily bad things, but God's not going to reward you in heaven because every Saturday night, you went to the bowling alley and had a bowling league. Now, is it sinful to be at the bowling alley? No. Unless you're skipping church for it, you know, but, you know, is it sinful to go bowling? No. Is it sinful to go golfing? No. Is it sinful to go play video games? Yeah, if you're a certain age, I think, yeah. But anyway, you know, is it sinful to, to, to play video games? No. But here's the thing. There's no eternal value. There's nothing eternal that comes as a result. And we all do things that are eternal and temporal. We all do things that have eternal value. Hopefully, you're doing something that has eternal value to it. You're not just wasting your life. But we all do things that have uh, temporal value that will not last in heaven. Now, notice what he says. Look at verse 12 again. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Notice verse 13. Every man's work, do you see that? Shall be made manifest. The word manifest means we'll be able to see it. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed. It's going to be made manifest. It's going to be made seen by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Meaning, what kind is it? Is your work gold, silver, precious stones? Or is your work wood, hay, stubble? Now notice verse 14. If any man's work abide, so they grab all your works, everything you ever did in your life. Some of it is wood, hay, and stubble. Some of it is gold, silver, precious stone. They put it in the fire. God burns it all up. If any man's work abide, whatever's left over, which he hath built thereupon, notice, he shall receive a reward. 
He's going to burn up everything that was useless, everything that was a waste of time, all the hours upon hours you spent on social media, all burnt up. You know, there's no value, right? And then, and then everything you did, you know, all the time you spent reading the Bible to your children, all the time you spent soul winning, all the time uh, whenever you gave for something that, that was investing in the work of God or in the ministry of God, he's going to burn all that up. And whatever's left over, you'll get a reward based on that. But notice verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned. Here's an example of a Christian, and this is a sad example, and hopefully this isn't in in our church, but I'm sure it is, of a Christian who they took all the works, everything he ever did, he threw it into the fire and everything got burnt up. There was nothing. There was no gold. There was no silver. There was no... Everything he did in life was temporal. Everything they did in life was selfish. Everything they did in life was just for this world. Notice verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, notice, he shall suffer loss. Because God wants to give all of us rewards. And there's rewards that God wants to give you. And he says, this guy, this lady, shall suffer loss, but, notice, but he himself shall be saved, yet so, as by fire. Here's what he said. Yeah, you know, you might get to heaven and have everything burnt up because you lived a, a life that was only for yourself and never invested in anyone's eternity. But at least you'll be saved. At least you'll go to heaven. You won't get any rewards, but you'll be saved as, uh, um, yet so as by fire. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. According to this passage, is it possible that there will be a Christian who will be saved who will go to heaven and yet have done nothing for God? The answer is yes. Because he tells us there are some people where everything's going to get burned up, where everything's going to get devoured, because they did nothing. They accomplished nothing. Their lives were worthless when it comes to the kingdom and the things of God, but yet they're still saved. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Look at verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yes, so as by fire. So is it possible? Here's what I'm trying to explain to you. I want to prove to you that this idea that, you know, if you're, if you're saved, you will have works is not a concept that's found in Scripture because Jesus said, because the Bible says uh, there that there's coming a judgment day when some Christians, everything is going to get burned up, meaning they had no good works. They did nothing of eternal value, yet they're saved. The Bible tells us, to him that worketh not, not that to him that worketh a little bit, not to him that worketh some, but he says to him that worketh not, but they did believe on, the, on him that justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. So go back to James chapter number 2. Because James chapter number 2, this is the one, I mean, this is the favorite chapter of false religions. Because it's easy for them to twist it. And here's what people will often say. They'll say, see, James chapter 2 teaches, and let me just show you uh, the the major phrase in the chapter. James chapter 2, look at verse 20. And look, the word of God is perfect. it's, it's It's unsaved men who are not able to understand the word of God. And the problem is not with the, with, with the word of God, it's with those who are interpreting it. But go to James chapter 2, look at verse 20, notice what he says. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And they'll say, see, see, faith without works is dead. So you have to have works. And they'll say, either you have to live a good life, you have to go to the confessional booth, you have to go to the baptism, you have to repent of your sins, you have to have works, or your faith is dead. Or, or they'll say, look, you, faith will always produce works. 
Because faith without works is dead, and they'll just keep repeating that over. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. We already saw, though, two clear passages that show that it is possible for someone to have faith without works, and they still go to heaven. So what is this phrase, faith without works is dead? Well, again, and we're about to get into it. I just need to lay this foundation. Let me say this. Here's what it's not saying. Because people say, faith without works is dead. And here's what it's not saying. Faith without works is non-existing. See, if, if James said, hey, faith without works is non-existing. Or faith without works is a false faith. Faith without works is not true or not real. If that's what he was saying, I would say, well, maybe you have a point. But he's not saying faith without works doesn't exist or you cannot have faith without works. Here's what he's saying. Faith without works is dead. So, well, what does that mean? Well, let me ask you. If I died and you, held, you, know, you had a funeral for me and you're all going to be there, right? You're all going to come to my funeral? <laughs> and, 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 and you came. Look, if I died, does that mean that I never existed? If I died, I mean, it's just like I dropped dead, I have a heart attack, you know, I have my la- one last Coke, I have a heart attack, Coca-Cola, all right? Something. And, and I have a heart attack, right? Does that mean like, oh, Pastor Matt has never existed, he's erased from your memory, nothing I ever did ever happened, my children just disappear, right? Because pa- as soon as you die, you just disappear, you no longer exist, Right? Because that's what the phrase means, right? When you die. No, look, when you die, here's what that means. You're no longer conscious. When you die, here's what it means. You're no longer active. When you die, here's what it means. You no longer get to live life and develop relationships. When I die, hey, I'll be in heaven, but my body, because that's what the example he gives. We'll look at it here in a minute. He says, faith without works is dead only means this. If your faith has no works, then your faith is inactive. It cannot do anything. It cannot accomplish. Look, if I die, I can't do it. I can't preach any more sermons. I can't win any more souls. I'm done. But that doesn't mean I don't exist. That doesn't mean I didn't exist at some point. So what does this phrase, faith without works, is dead mean? Go, go, go to, you're there in James chapter number 2. I'd like to give you three statements this morning. But I want to lay that foundation. Here's what it doesn't mean, that you have to have works to be saved. Because we saw in Scripture that you can have Work no works to him that worketh not, but believeth. We saw in Scripture that some Christians are going to get to heaven, and they have done absolutely no works. Because remember, the judgment seat of Christ is judging your works. And he says everything was burnt up. There was no works to reward, but they were saved. Okay? So what does this phrase mean? Faith without works is dead. Number one this morning, I'd like for you to write these statements down, especially if you're a soul winner this morning. I think so. if you're a soul winner, this is a, a passage you might get a lot of questions about and you want to have some answers. Number one, would you mind writing this statement down if, if you don't have a child on your lap or something like that? Number one, faith without works does not profit anyone. Faith without works does not profit anyone. Are you there in James chapter 2? Now in verse 14 is where, this, where the chapter transitions into this idea of faith without works. Notice what he says in verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works, can faith save him? Now, I want you to notice that phrase, can faith save him? Because this is where people go off the deep end. And they, right there, right at that phrase, they'll say, see, can faith save him without works? But here's what you need to understand. In the Bible, in fact, keep your finger there in James chapter 2. Go with me to the book of Matthew, just real quickly. Keep your finger there in James 2. Go to Matthew chapter number 8. 
And when you get to Matthew, do me a favor and put a bulletin or a ribbon or a bookmark or something in Matthew because we're going to leave Matthew and we're going to come right back to it. So I'd like you to be uh, able to get to it quickly. Matthew chapter number 8. Here's what you need to understand. In the Bible, the word save or saved or even salvation is not always referring to the, uh, what we would call spiritual salvation or being saved from your sins or going to heaven when you die. And in fact, much false doctrine has came from people seeing the word saved and assuming it's talking about spiritual. For example, in Matthew 24, we won't look at it, but it says, you know, uh, if you endure unto the end, ye shall be saved. Talking about the tribulation period. And people say, see, you got to endure to the end to be saved. But if you look at the context, he's talking, and if you look at the cross references, the other passages, the parallel passages, he's talking about your flesh will be saved from the persecution that's coming. And it's very clear in the context, but people will see that word saved and say, see, you got to endure to the end or you're not going to be saved. And, and I just want to give you some examples of that. Matthew chapter 8, look at verse 24. Notice what the Bible says. And behold, there arose a great tempest. Now, a tempest is a violent storm in the sea. This is when the disciples were uh, on, on the sea there with Jesus. In so much that the ship was covered with the waves, but he, Jesus, was asleep. Notice verse 25. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, notice what they say, Lord, save us. We perish. Now, were they asking for salvation? Were they saying that we need to be spiritual salvation? You know, we need to be saved from our sins. We need to be redeemed. No, they're saying, can you physically save us? We're in this tempest in the sea. We're going to die. They say, Lord, save us. And of course, you know the story. Jesus comes and calms the sea. Go to Matthew chapter 14. Let me give you another example. There's a lot of examples I could give you. I wanted to give you these in Matthew because we're going to look at something else in Matthew. But um, notice Matthew chapter 14. Look at verse 29. Matthew chapter 14, verse 29. This is another story where they were out on, on, on sea, these fishermen. And this time Jesus comes walking on water to them. Matthew 14, verse 29. Notice what the Bible says. And he, that's Jesus, said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, He walked on the water to go to Jesus. Remember, Peter walked on water, and here we're seeing that. Peter is walking on water. Look at verse 30. But when he saw the winds boisterous, that means noisy or loud, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. Now, what was he saying? You know, I need to be born again. I need to call upon you for salvation. No, he's saying, can you save me from sinking? I'm physically sinking right now. And he said, Lord, save me. Here's what I want you to understand. Not every time the word save is used in the Bible is it a spiritual, you know, being saved from the second death. Sometimes it's in reference to a physical being saved physically or helping you uh, physically. Go back to the book of James, James chapter 2. And here's what you need to understand. The book of James is not a book written about salvation. Now, the book of John is written about salvation. The book of Romans, you could uh, argue that it's written about salvation, and it goes a lot into the doctrines of salvation. But James is a book written to believers about the Christian life. It's not a book about salvation on, like, how to get saved. It's a book about those who are saved and what they should be doing. That's the key word. What they should be doing once they are saved. Are you there in James chapter 2? Look at verse 14 again. What does it profit? Notice that phrase. What does it profit? Now I want you to notice, look at verse number 16. Look at the last phrase in verse 16. What does it profit? Say, why does God begin in verse 14 with what does it profit? And then at the end of verse 16, he says, what does it profit? Here's what he's doing. God is bookmarking for us a section of scripture and saying, let me explain to you 
what I mean when I say, can faith save him? Notice verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man, notice this word, say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Now, what's the word profit mean? Here's what the word profit means. To gain an advantage. To gain a benefit. To help someone. Here's what he's saying. What does it profit if a man says he has faith but has not works? Look at verse 15. James gives us an illustration of what he's referring to. Look at verse 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you, notice this word, say. Do you see that? Unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Here's the illustration. He says, somebody knocks on your door, and they, they're, they're one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, and they knock on your door, and they are naked and destitute of daily food. They are starving. They have no clothes. They knock on your door, and here's what they say. Can you save me? Can you help me? Can you profit me? And you say to them, be ye warm and filled. Notwithstanding, look at verse 16. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. Here's what he's saying. What if a Christian says all the right things? I don't want you to be cold. I don't want you to be hungry. I don't want, in fact, I'm going to bless you. Be ye warm and filled. And you say all sorts of good things, but you do nothing for them. Notice what he says. Look at verse 16. What doth it profit? He says, look, what are you, how are you helping someone when you say you have faith but you don't have works? He's saying, how is it that you're being a benefit to someone when you say, I have faith, but, but you don't ever do anything? You don't ever have any works to back up your faith. And here's what I need you to understand. Go back to James. You're there in James 2. Go to James 1. James 1, look at verse 22. This makes sense in the book of James because here's the thing. Leading up, see, when we study the Bible, we must study the Bible in its context. That's why at Verity Baptist Church, before we ever preach a sermon, even if we're not going to deal with the entire chapter, we read the entire chapter so you can get a little bit of the context. When you get to James 2 and verse 14 through 26, which deals with this idea of faith without works is dead, before you get to that, you've already, supposedly, you've already read, you know, James chapter 1 and the first part of James chapter 2. And here's what you need to understand. The context of the book of James is about doing or being a doer of the work. Let me show it to you. Are you there in James chapter 1? Look at verse number 22. James 1, 22. Now I want you to help me, and I'd like you to read these words with me when I tell you here in a second. Now notice what he says. He says, but be ye, and I want you to read these words. Let's read them out loud together, okay? Doers. All right? Let's, that, was, that was really weak. Let's do it again. But be ye doers. Good. You're doing it. Good job. All right? But be ye, let's read it one more time. Doers of the word. All right? Now notice what it says. And not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a, let's read it together, doer. Notice, if any man be a hearer of the word and not a, let's read it again, doer. Good, you're on, you're on it now. He is like unto man, beholding his natural face in a glass. Notice verse 24. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a, let's read it together, doer of the what? 
work. This man shall be blessed in his, notice this word, deed. What's a deed? It's an action. It's a work. Notice, go, go to James chapter 2, look at verse 8. James chapter 2, verse 8. No, here's, the book, here's what the book of James is about. I preached through the entire book of James, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, several months ago on a Wednesday night. Here's what the entire book is about. It's not about salvation. It's about getting you to do something. It's about getting you to not just sit there and say, well, I'm saved. Well, I'm saved. Well, I'm saved. And here's what he's saying. Yes, but you saying you're saved and never having words to back up what you say doesn't profit anybody. Doesn't do anything for anybody. You can sit there and say, well, I hope those people get saved. I hope those people get saved. I hope those people get the gospel. I hope those people don't die and go to hell. But you never go out and preach the gospel to them. You're not helping anybody. You're not profiting anybody. You say, well, I I, I just hope people don't die and go to hell. But I don't have time to go soul winning. Or I'm too lazy to go soul winning. Well, Well, let's just be honest. I'm too selfish to go soul winning. I've got too many things to do. I've got to take care of my garden. I've got to go fishing. I've got to do this. I hope they get saved. You're not helping anybody. Don't fool yourself. You say, well, am I so saved? Well, look, you're saved by faith. But your faith without works profits nobody. Your faith without works helps nobody. Your faith without works advantages nobody. Notice what he says. Look at verse James chapter 2. Look at verse 8. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye, let's read together. Ye do well. Look at verse 12. So speak ye and so, let's read out loud, do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. The context of James is about doing, doer, doing something, getting busy, getting to work. So you get, you get to James chapter 2. He says, and by the way, faith without works it doesn't profit anybody. He says, what does it profit, my brethren? He said, how are you helping someone if you look at him and say, well, I hope someone gives you food. I hope you get fed. I hope you get food. And you do nothing to help them. So what does this phrase, faith without works, is dead mean? Well, it means that you've got to add works to your salvation or you're not saved. Well, no, that's not what it means because you can have no works and still be saved. Because you can get to heaven and all of your works are going to get burnt up because you did nothing for God, but you're still saved. What does it mean? Here's what it means. Faith without works does not profit anyone. Number two like you write the statement down. I said, number one, faith without works does not profit anyone. Number two, faith without works is not perceived by anyone. I said, number one, faith without works does not profit anyone. But number two, I want you to notice, faith without works is not perceived, is not perceived by anyone, meaning nobody sees it. Are you there in James chapter 2? Look at verse 18. Yea, a man. Yea, a man. You're there in, in James 2.18? Now, I want you to understand who's speaking here. Because it says, yea, a man may say. Who's speaking? It's not God. It's not yea, God may say. It's just yea, a man may say. A person on the outside looking in may say. Notice what they say. Thou hast faith. I have works. I want you to notice this word, show. I'd like you, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, I'd like you to circle that word, show. If you got a King James Bible, it's S-H-E-W, all right? It's a, it's a different archaic form of writing. It's our word show, S-H-O-W, right? And notice what he says. A man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Notice, show me thy faith without thy works. And I will, circle this word, show thee my faith by my works. Notice verse 19. 
Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? So what does that phrase mean? Well, number one, we said faith without works does not profit anyone. Number two, faith without works is not perceived by anyone. He says, show me your faith without your works. He said, you can't do it. He said, you can talk about it all day long. You say, well, I'm saved. I, I, you know, salvation through Jesus Christ. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You can talk about it all day long. But there's only one way you can show me your faith. And he said, it's through your works. He says, show me thy faith by thy works. He said, and I will show thee my faith by my works. He said, that's what a man may say. That's what a, he, said, he said, no one's going to see your faith. No one's going to perceive your faith. You're there in James. Go to the book of 1 Peter, just one book over. Uh, we saw this last week, but let's look at it again. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 12. The word show means to present, to be seen, to display, to make manifest. The word show means that we are, you ever went to school and you had a show and tell? You know, where you show something, you know, and then you tell about it. You bring your guinea pigs or your weird animals you have, and you show, this is my pad, you know, a gerbil. And then you talk about it. Here's what he's saying. You're talking, but you're not showing. You're telling, but you're not showing. Are you there in 1 Peter chapter 2? Look at verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, notice what he says. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, that they may, notice, that they may, by your good works, by your good works, notice, which they shall, notice this word, behold, which they shall see, notice, glorify God in the day of visitation. He says, look, by your good works, they're, go- they're going to behold him. And they're going to glorify God. Go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. Did you keep your place in Matthew? I know we saw this last week, but let's look at it again. Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 16. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Matthew 5, 16. Notice what the Bible says. Let your light so shine before men that they may... Matthew 5, 16. I want you to see it. Let your light so shine before men that they may see... You see that word there? That they may see your good works, and as a result of seeing your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do you want to know why Christianity is failing in America today? Do you want to know why Christianity is making little to no impact in America today? You all know why these homos are out here just proud and taking over? Why the transgenders, just say, everyone's just bowing down to this transgender, you know, you got to let them do whatever they want to do. You got to let them go, go into whatever restroom they want to go into. Just let some pervert in there with your little daughter or with your son or whatever. You all know why President Obama just said that every uh, public institution in America, every public school, every college, every university must allow just transgender freaks to go into whatever uh, uh, restroom they want. And here's what that means for those of you with children in public school. Here's what it means. Your 14 or 15 or 16 or 17-year-old daughter can be sitting in a locker room getting dressed for P.E. with some perfect boy, uh, my, you know, 16-year-old, getting changed and ready right next to her. And they have to allow it. And, you know, we preach against the public school. And people say, I can't believe you said something against the public school. The public school is perverted. The, the, the world is crazy today. 
And the reason it is, the reason we're failing, the reason we're not winning the battle today is because we got a whole lot of Christians who are happy to sit and say, well, that's terrible. Well, that's no good. Let me post something on Twitter about that. Let me write something on Facebook about it. I mean, that's just terrible. I just can't believe. But they won't get up and do anything about it. They won't get up and say, well, let's get somebody saved. Let's go preach the gospel to somebody. Let's go win this country back to God. No, no, no. We say, but we will not do. And God says, you know what? Your faith profits no one, and your faith is perceived by no one. And Christianity in America today is a joke. Because we talk a lot, but we do nothing. We tell a lot, but we show nothing. Say, faith without works is dead. You got to do good works. No, no, no. You don't have to do any good works to go to heaven. You just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But I'm here to tell you this morning that faith without works does not profit anyone. I'm here to tell you this morning that faith without works is not perceived by anyone. Number three, can you make your way back to James chapter 2? Look at verse number 21. James chapter number 2, not only is faith without works not profiting anyone, not only does faith without works not perceived by anyone, number 3, James chapter 2, look at verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Notice verse 22. Seest thou how faith wrought? You see that word wrought there? The word wrought means, it's an old word, it means Worked with or worked alongside. Now notice what he says. Seest thou how faith worked with or worked alongside his works, and by works was his faith made, I want you to notice this word, perfect. See, number one, I said this morning, faith without works does not profit anyone. Number two, faith without works is not, is not perceived by anyone. Number three, faith without works does not perfect Anyone. Say, well, what what do you mean by perfect? See, in the Bible, the word perfect is not like what you... Today we say, oh, that's just perfect. And we mean there's nothing wrong with it, right? Or, Or this person is perfect, meaning they don't do anything wrong. In the Bible, the word perfect means to complete, to make whole, to come to maturity. You know, often Jesus would heal someone and he would talk about the fact that they were made whole and in other places it would say that they were made perfect. And there's one passage where it says that they were made perfectly whole. It just means there was something missing and once it's complete, once it's done, once it's, it, it, it's completely mature and ready, now it's perfect. That's what the word perfect means. Go to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. You're there in James, just go backwards uh, through the book of Hebrews, Philemon, Titus, into 2 Timothy. While you're going there, let me read for you Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Some of you are like, well, I didn't come here on Sunday morning and have the pastor yell at me. Well, I don't know why you came here this morning. Maybe it's just for donuts. I don't know. But let me tell you why I'm here this morning. Ephesians 4.11 says this, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did God give you a pastor? For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. See, when you got saved, you got completely saved. But you're not complete. Please understand that. When you got saved, all of you were saved. All of you will go to heaven. But that's just the start. The end game is not salvation. 
Let's just get people saved. Let's just get them saved. We want to get them saved. And we need to get them saved. And that is the most important thing that we can do is preach the gospel to someone that they get saved so they don't spend eternity in hell. But listen to me. That You want to know my agenda? Here's my agenda. You come to church. We get you saved. We get you baptized. And we get you to work. And we get you to do something. And we get you to start growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what, we, that's what we do at Verity Baptist Church. Why? why? Why am I here? I'm not sure why you're here. Maybe your wife dragged you here, or your husband dragged you here, or your parents dragged you here, or the donuts called you here. But here's why I'm here. I'm here for the perfecting of the saints. Amen. I'm here to help you go from I'm saved to I'm complete. I'm mature. Are you there in 2 Timothy 3? Look at verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. Why? Verse 17. That the man of God may be, notice this word, perfect, may be complete, may be mature, thoroughly furnished, don't miss this, unto all good works. See, you cannot be a growing and mature Christian. You cannot be a complete Christian. You cannot be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unless you are doing all good works. What does faith without works, what does that phrase teach us? Here's what it teaches us. Faith without works does not profit anybody. Talk and talk and talk about your faith and my Jesus and my this and that. But if your actions don't back up what you say, it's not profiting. In fact, it's hurting. It's hurting us because here's the thing. Not only does faith without works not profit anyone, faith without works is not perceived by anyone. Nobody sees it. Nobody's astonished by it. Nobody says, you know what? Those people, they say some weird things. You know that neighbor? He believes some crazy thing. Can you believe he thinks it's weird for two men to go to bed together? I mean, that's odd, isn't it? That's what the world thinks. But here's what they should say. But he's real. He's authentic. He may be crazy, and I think he's in a cult, but he says what he means, and he means what he says. But that can't be said about most Christians. Most Christians, it can be said, if they say anything, it doesn't match up to what they do. Faith without works is not perceived by anyone. Faith without works does not perfect anyone. Look, you need to grow in grace. You need to mature. You need to be complete. And the only way to finish it, the only way to finish the process is by doing good works. Now, you're there in James. Let me give you a couple of things real quickly, and we're going to finish up. James chapter 2, look at verse 21. He gives you two examples here, and I really don't want to take the time to go through all of the passages, and I don't think I'm going to. I'm just going to explain it, and I'm going to give you the references. You can write it down if you're interested and study it out on your own. He gives you two examples of Abraham and, and Rahab, the harlot, about when they were justified by works. Look at James chapter 2, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Here's what people say. See? He had to offer his son upon the altar to be justified by, by works. And I would, I would say, yeah, well, that's what the Bible says. But I want you to notice, it wasn't just that Abraham was justified by works. It says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when? That's the key word. When was he justified by works? When he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. Now, let me, I'm just going to walk through this. Write it down if you want to study it. I've got all the notes and we can go to the references, but I, I don't want to keep you any longer. Abraham, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. Write this down if you'd like to study it out. Romans 4, verses 9 through 10. Abraham was saved before his circumcision. Abraham was circumcised, 
And the Bible tells us that he was saved before he was circumcised, Romans 4, 9 through 10. I'd encourage you to study that out. Look, look at that passage, okay? Now, here's what you need to understand. According, according to Genesis 17 and 24, write that down, Genesis 17, 24, Abraham was circumcised at the age of 99. He was 99 years old when he was circumcised according to Genesis 17 and verse number 24. Here's what that tells us. Romans 4 tells us he was saved before. Now, it doesn't tell you he was saved right before. It just tells us when Abraham was saved, it was when he was uncircumcised. So we know he was saved before the age of 99. Now, here's what we do know. In Genesis 12, we saw this last week in our sermon on Abraham on Sunday night. In Genesis 12, verse 4, uh, well, Genesis 12 is when God calls Abraham. In verse 4, we're told that Abraham is 75 years old. In verse 8 of that chapter, Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. Romans 12, uh, Romans 12, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So according to the Bible, when was Abraham saved? When he called upon the name of the Lord, back in Genesis chapter 12, he was either 75 years old or close to 75 years old. Because here's what you need to understand. In Genesis 12, he's 75 years old. In Genesis 17, he's 99 years old. So those chapters are covering a lot of his life. He was saved. He called upon the name of the Lord in Genesis chapter 12. He was 75 or close to it. You say, well, why does all this matter? Here's why it matters. In Genesis 22 is when he was Justified by works. Okay? So the question is this. How old was Abraham when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar in Genesis 22? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us how old he was in Genesis 22. But here's what we do know. All right? In Genesis 21 and verse 5, write that down if you'd like to look at that. Genesis 21 and verse 5, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. Isaac was born in Genesis 21 and Abraham was 100 years old. In Genesis 23 and verse 1, Sarah died, and Sarah died at the age of 127 years old, all right? Say, well, why does that matter? Here's why that matters. Because in Genesis 17 and verse 17, we're told that Abraham is 10 years older than Sarah. So here's what we know. In Genesis 21, Isaac is born. Abraham is 100 years old. In Genesis 23, Sarah dies. Abraham is 137 years old. What that tells us is the events that happened in Genesis 22 happened between the age of 100 and 137 for Abraham. Okay? Now, here's the thing. Did Abraham go and offer up Isaac upon the altar after the second day he was born? Well, no, because if you read the story of Genesis, you know, uh, uh, Isaac is walking and Isaac is talking, and Isaac is even helping. He's carrying things, and he's hopping along. So here's the thing. You know, Isaac had to have been at least eight years old. I mean, my son is eight years old now, and he's to the point where he's starting to, like, help, you know? But the thing is, we don't, he could have been 20 years old. We don't know. But here's what we know. Abraham was justified by works after Isaac was born, 100 years old, probably more like 110, maybe 120 Definitely between 100 and 137. Abraham called upon the name of the Lord at the age of 75. You know, maybe a little older than that, but he's definitely close to 75. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. When Abraham was justified by works was decades after Abraham was saved, which proves that you don't have to do works to be saved. Look, what I just explained is some of your testimonies. You're like, I've been saved for decades. And I'm like, where you been? 
Well, you know, I've been sitting around kind of doing nothing. I just got around to, you know, I've been saved for 25 years now, and I just thought I might show up for church on Sunday. Well, yeah, so did Abraham. He said for 75 years in Genesis 22, he was justified by works. His faith began to profit other people. His faith began to be perceived by other people. His faith began to perfect him and mature him and grow him. But he was saved all the way over here when he was 75 years old, according to the Bible. You have another example of Rahab. Look at Genesis 2. Look at verse 25. Likewise, hopefully that made sense. If you have any questions about that, let me know. I don't want to take the time to go through all the references. Here's what you could do. Just show up for the Genesis Abraham series on Sunday nights, and that'll help you out too. Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 25. Likewise, Genesis, I'm sorry, I'm saying Genesis. James 2.25. I'm trying to avoid Genesis because I'm preaching about that tonight. James 2.25. Likewise, meaning in the same way as Abraham also was not Rahab. Remember Rahab the harlot? Was not Rahab the harlot? Notice, justified by works. Here's the key word, when. When was she justified by works? When she had received the messengers and sent them out another way. Remember the two spies came? She brought them into her house. She hid them. She covered for them, and then she sent them out. She was justified by works when she did that, okay? I'm not going to take the time to go there, but if you go to the book of Joshua, chapter number 2, and read verses 9 through, just read that passage, 9 through 11, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that she makes a statement. She says to them, she says to them, the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. When Rahab the harlot let the spies in and hid them, She did it because she believed that their God was the God of heaven. It's not like, oh, she brought them in and now I'm saved. No, she brought them in because she was saved. She brought them in because she was already believing. She brought them in. She was justified by works, but she had already believed before that. What does James 2 teach us? Well, here's what it teaches us is that you have to have works or you're not going to go to heaven. No, that's not what it teaches. Because the Bible says that he that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. The Bible says that there are some people that are going to get to heaven and at the judgment seat of Christ, everything they ever did is going to get burnt up. They did nothing for God, but they shall be saved. What is James 2 teaching us? Here's what it's teaching us. Faith without works does not profit anyone. Here's a question I have for you. How is your faith profiting someone? Yeah, well, I showed up to church on Sunday. Okay, great. I'm glad you're here. I Really, I am. But that's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking that you come to church on Sunday. I'm asking, who is your faith helping Who is your faith profiting? Who is your faith giving a benefit to or an advantage to? Because faith without works does not profit anyone. And if you say, well, I'm not really investing anyone. I'm not profiting. There's no one who's being helped by my faith. Here's the reason why. It's probably because you have no works. Because you're not working. You may be saved and praise the Lord for it. But faith without works does not profit anyone. Number two. Faith without works does not, is not perceived by anyone. Here's a question I have for you. How's your testimony? I mean, do people at work, when they're going to go out to the bar and get drunk, and they're like, hey, so-and-so, you want to come? And then someone says, no, no, don't ask him. He's a Christian. Does that ever happen to you? I say, no. Well, here's a question I have. Why not? I mean, do they, do they just, hey, come, let me tell you this dirty joke. And someone's like, no, don't tell him. You know, he's, he's a Christian. He's a Bible thumper. You know, he won't like that joke. Does that ever happen to you? I said, no. Well, here's a question I have for you. Why not? Amen. Do your neighbors know you're a Christian? Do your family members know you're a Christian? Do your, do your friends know? Do, do the people around you? Is there anything in your life that shows people your faith? 
Or is it just you telling them when you tell them every once in a while? And even that doesn't happen a lot. Because faith without works is not perceived by anyone. How's your testimony? Could, here's the question I have. Could people know you're a Christian just by not knowing anything about you, just seeing your life and say there's something different about that person? There's something odd about that person, something peculiar about the moment. Here's what we know. Faith without works does not profit anyone. Faith without works does not, is not perceived by anyone. And lastly, faith without works does not perfect anyone. Here's the question I have for you. Is there anything that you're doing that's helping you become a better Christian? Some of you, here's how you should answer that question. You ought to be back tonight, 6 p.m. Say, why would I come back to church again? Isn't that a lot of work? Yeah, it is a lot of work. Why would I come to church on Wednesday night? Isn't that a lot of work? Yeah, it is a lot of work. Why would I go soul winning on Saturday? Isn't that a lot of work? Yeah, it is a lot of work. But you know what? It'll help you grow. It'll help you mature. It'll help you be perfect. It'll help you get complete. You say, well, am I going to go to, you'll go to heaven. But look, I don't want to be that guy where it's like, whoops, I didn't do anything. I don't want to be that guy. I want to get to heaven and have rewards to be able to say, look, Jesus, I did this for you because I love you. Because I loved you more than I love myself. See, faith without works doesn't perfect anyone, doesn't mature anyone, doesn't help anyone. Here's a question I have for you. Do you have faith without works? Now, if you do, if you do, you're still saved. But it's useless to anybody else. As far as I would have prayed.